0: Told Leah, I was uh, <clears throat> Christmas time is one of those ones that it's like there's. I always kind of struggle. Where do I go to preach? Where do I where do I do? Um, she read from Matthew one, and Matthew has a beautiful account of Jesus's birth. Right? Luke has this wonderful account that we're going to be looking at about Jesus's birth today uh, as uh, birth as well. but then there's also John chapter one. Right? And I'm I'm going to diverge just a second here, just to because I just love this. Um. Fat sausagey fingers, thin pages. Um, John chapter 1, we talk about the eternality of, of Jesus. In John 1, just verses 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, I just, I just look at that, and I think of that, and I just think, wow. Um, John's account of, of the birth of Jesus is much more dramatic in some ways, um, and just reminding us that it's, he's always been here. He's always been with us. He is the one true eternal God and the idea that he was there at creation before time, and Jesus was there. That is just such an amazing thing to think about. But that's not what we're preaching today. I kind of, you know, jumped ahead a little bit, but um, y'all forgive me in that. We are going to be in Luke chapter two today. I do have a little bit of a scratchy voice. You'll see me sipping some hot tea, trying to keep it uh, soothed as we go, but we will be looking at Luke chapter two. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. It will be up on the screen. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree uh, went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was at the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was within the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. <clears throat> when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you thanking you so much. We thank you so much for the incarnation, the, the coming to earth and humbling yourself to live as not just a man but as, a, as an infant. Who grew into a man. Father, we understand that you are eternal and have been there forever, that, that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is, is always eternal and has always been and, and was there at creation and even before. But you loved your people. You loved your people so much that to provide a, a way for us to be reconciled to you, you humbled yourself, Jesus we thank you for that and we celebrate that father let us as this time of of hearing your word and and responding to your word let us honor you in that let us glorify your name in that let us make much of you today as we should make much of you every day and it's in jesus name i pray these things Luke chapter 2, man, it is is just one of those passages that is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, um, probably specifically in the United States. I think we can thank Charles Schultz uh, for helping us become so well acquainted with this. Uh, Starting in 1965 until 2020, Linus said this on stage, on TV, and 90% of American households for that, for that period of time. That's kind of a crazy thought that, it, that that message, Luke chapter 2, was read in homes for that long. Like, if you're a member of Gen X, I am, there's probably a really good chance that when you read Luke chapter 2, you may even hear it in the voice of Linus Van Pelt, right? Like, it's, it's just kind of ingrained in us this way. But as a child, not only do I remember seeing it on TV with, with my bowl of popcorn and, and watching it with, with mom and dad and, and, and seeing it with Charlie Brown. I remember it even more specially being read to us each Christmas Eve evening by candlelight from my mom's, at that point in time, well-worn red leather Bible. She would just open it up and it would be there real quiet, right? This, this passage holds so many memories for so many of us. Those of us who grew up in the church, this is, this is a beloved passage, but <clears throat> this passage holds so much more. It holds and it proclaims much truth about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And it just goes right into it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem rather than in Nazareth, where Joseph and Mary were living, right? Joseph and Mary were Galilean. They lived in the town of Nazareth in Galilee, and, and they, were, they were having to move from Galilee and Nazareth down to Bethlehem due to this decree put out by the Roman administration of, of Caesar Augustus there was a census to be taken. right? It was to be taken of all the Roman Empire for the purpose of gathering up taxes. Seems like sometimes some things never change. right? We know that Quirinius was the governor of Syria at the time, and it appears that he may have been overseeing this census. Right? Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth, but they had to travel to Bethlehem because this was Joseph's ancestral home. The passage says that they went up to Bethlehem. That's always an interesting thing, right? It sounds odd to us here in the United States. We we think of going up or traveling north. Well, Bethlehem is south of Nazareth, and and so we would think, well, why didn't they go down to Bethlehem instead of going up to Bethlehem? Well, the Israelites and and, and the Jews of the time, they didn't think quite the way we thought. They thought that because Bethlehem was in Judea and Bethlehem was on a mountain specifically, it was on Mount Zion, right that it goes up, right Mount Zion is where Jerusalem is, and you would go up the mountain to Jerusalem, you'd go up to the holy city. And because Bethlehem is in the same district in Judea as as Jerusalem, you would go up to Bethlehem. It's kind of an odd way of thinking about it, but that's the way they thought about it. in that um, ancient Hebrew texts. One always goes up to Jerusalem because it's the holy city. You go up to Jerusalem because it's on a mountain. You would go up to Jerusalem because it's in Judea, right? And Bethlehem being in Judea, you would also go up to Bethlehem. And it says that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. Right? This is a legally binding engagement that can only be broken through a divorce. Uh, in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, that's kind of what Joseph sought to do quietly because he's like, wait you're you're pregnant, Mary? Yeah. But you and I have not been together. How does, right? He wanted to very quietly, with as much dignity as he could give Mary, seek to divorce her in this way, because he knew the child was not his. It's not until the angel Gabriel speaks to Joseph in a dream <coughs> that we read about in Matthew chapter 1 that that it is revealed to him that the child is conceived of the holy spirit that this is not even Mary's child she's just the vessel in which she's carrying Jesus and in verse 6 it says the time came right now so we know about all these political reasons that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem but but understand this that that the time came don't miss out right like this is God who ultimately controls all of history, and He's the one who's putting all these pieces together. This was all mapped out and planned long, long before this day in, in, in Bethlehem ever occurred. Right? He controls all the, all the history, and He puts all the pieces together, and He puts all the pieces in place for Jesus to be born when He was born and where He was born. God the Father ultimately does all of that. There are no coincidences with our great and omniscient God. He is great. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He knows all He can, has all this power, and He takes care of that. It was God who gave the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. It was was God who will make sure that it happens according to His plan, a plan He had in place since before the foundations of the earth were even laid. And then he continues on to say that she gave birth to her firstborn son. This, this moment when she gives birth to her firstborn son, this is the greatest miracle in the history of the world. The eternal second person of the Trinity, God the Son humbled himself to be born as a man. Don't, Don't lose sight of this. That Jesus is eternal. He exists outside of time as you and I understand it. And, and looking back at what he says in, in John 1 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. <clears throat> All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here in this moment, the one who created the universe comes to earth as a man to be the savior man desperately needs. And it's done with with really very little fanfare. The, The greatest miracle in the history of all history the greatest miracle in the, in, in the history of all miracles happens in a rather quietly kind of moment. Just, just a quiet little moment in a stable, in a small village, one day's walk from Jerusalem. I, I like how Luke is, is restrained and how he describes things here. He, he just kinda, It's just kind of almost mundane in the way that he writes it. That what Mary does is just kind of commonplace. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there's no place for them in the inn. Just very, very just mundane sounding. She wrapped her baby in these in these strips of cloth that would keep him warm and keep him swaddled, right? Keep him comfortable. And she needed a place to let her, her newborn son rest as she herself rested. <clears throat> so she laid him in mean, the only thing that she could see had nearby, a, a food trough. And, and it kind of makes sense. It seems logical. It's going to be sturdy. It had no real chance of being tipped, falling over and tipping the baby out. Right? We, we forget that if it's a trough, it's, it's used to some rough and tumble behavior. Animals bunching into it and knocking it around. They don't knock it over though. So it's, it's sturdy. It's not going to fall over. It's not going to tip the baby out. The straw or whatever grains might be in it would be a place to kind of create a warm bed. It's insulation. They might have placed a coat or a cloak or something over top of that to create a little bit of a bed. Make it just a little bit softer. And you think about it, this all beats the alternative of just laying the baby on the ground. But that's what Mary did. Just so she could get a, a maybe a moment of rest herself. And it's all happening here in this this very kind of mundane, ordinary way because there's no public or family lodging available for Mary and Joseph. There was no room for them in the inn. And then while Mary's taking care of all of this, there are these shepherds out there, right? They're, They're doing what shepherds do. An angel goes out to them, and an angel had the had the bright glory light that surrounds the presence of God himself, and it's just all around all of them. And the angel, once once he has reassured, reassured the shepherds to fear not, I love that, there's, there's this moment you have an encounter with the divine, and the first thing they have to say to you as a human is, don't be afraid. Anytime we see an encounter with an angel or an encounter with the divine in Scripture, it's, Don't be afraid or fear not. Because the majesty of our Lord is great. And it would be awe-inspiring as well as creating a fear in us. And he says to them, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David is a in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love that. I love that. The word good news here is just, it's wonderful. In the Greek, it's the word, and I'm going to butcher this so badly. Yep. Eangelos am I. Right? I probably have no, nowhere near, I should, didn't even try to pronounce it, but it's that word. And it's the, it's the verbal form. It's, it's how you would, in Greek, actually pronounce the word gospel, like we would say. It's where we get our idea of evangelism. This is, this is, this is who he is that are telling the story, the good news of Jesus. And then the angel makes this another part of this announcement as he's making this announcement. He's he's also declaring something so important here, that he is our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. These are three titles, and they're three titles of the greatness of this baby. And, I, and I'm sure this astonishing announcement kind of left the shepherds perplexed, and I sincerely doubt that they grasped it. It's not that they weren't intelligent men, but all of this happening all at once, there's a lot to process for them. And here the angel is saying to them that the Messiah or the Christ, who is the Savior of the world, is God himself, and he has arrived in human form. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And then a host of multitude, right? This is thousands of angels show up, thousands of the heavenly hosts. And together they proclaim the good news about Jesus. They sing praise of the, of the eternal, omnipotent Son of God. Glory to God in the highest. Right? They exalt Jesus as he takes on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, as, as Paul describes in Philippians 2.7. They praise Jesus now as, as the fullness of time has come and as, as <clears throat> God has sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the laws, as Paul reminds us in Galatians 4, 4, and 5. And he says a lot here. He says, peace to them. Man, there's a peace in our salvation that comes only through God's Son. That, that peace in Hebrews is the word shalom, right? And it, it has a much higher connotation than, than our English word peace has. Peace in English, we kind of think of it as just being without conflict, being without turmoil. That's, that's kind of the peace we think about in English, right? Not, not having conflict around us. Shalom peace, though, means to not just be without conflict and turmoil, but to also be positively blessed because of your right relationship with God. It's this notion that all is well in life. But not only is all well in life, it's it's all is well in life, especially during times of of hardship, especially during times of persecution, especially during times of tribulation. It's this concept of, of in this sense of like, I am God's and he'll see me through. That's what shalom means, this, this peace that the angel is speaking of. This is a peace that withstands conflict. It's a peace that withstands turmoil. It's a peace that withstands persecution. It's a peace that withstands tribulation. It's a beautiful reminder to us that, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace that was promised to the people in Isaiah 9. And that peace, though, comes among those with whom he, God, is pleased. Now, salvation is available for all mankind. But it's not universal here. It's not what he's talking about. Luke is a is a Gentile physician, and he's he's a missionary companion of Paul. Remember, it's, it's interesting that we, we we sometimes forget that the gospel writers weren't all also part of the twelve disciples, right? Luke and Mark weren't. Luke's this Gentile physician. He's a missionary companion of Paul, and he reminds us in verse ten that the good news of great joy that will be for all the people is there. That 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 salvation is now available to both Jews and Gentiles through the work of Jesus. And the angels are reminding us of that. But it's not an automatic salvation. It's not just because that baby was born in that stable in Bethlehem 2,000-some years ago that now all mankind is saved. God calls His own people to Himself. And His people will respond to His call. And it's through Jesus that that we're able to respond. And it's, it's hard sometimes to remember that, that, that the world that was lovingly and, and carefully made by Jesus, that world rejects Jesus. We're told about this in, in John 1, that the world rejects Jesus. Right? Even even with, even with the most convincing proofs, the Jews, the people of Jesus' day, his own people, his own family, it, even his mother and his brothers weren't real sure, like, you're looking a little crazy out there in your ministry. Maybe, maybe you need to come home and go back in the wood shop. These people knew the Scriptures. They could see the proofs, but yet they rejected Jesus anyway. They rejected the Messiah that they had been long promised. But those who have received Jesus, those who have received Him, God gives them the right to be children of God. I love that it's that adoption story that that we were once children of sin. And yet God, when we... We have Jesus in our lives. He adopts us as his children, makes us his kids then. We're no longer children to sin, but now children of the King. And this isn't just some like academic or, or intellectual agreement about who Jesus is or what he teaches, right? This is all about the personal trust, personal relationship you have with Jesus. When we believe in his name, we hold dear to all the things that we see are true about Jesus. Our adoption as children of God is, is something that, that comes from God and only from God. And <clears throat> we are then born of, of God and not just born of blood. It's not our physical birth. It's, it's not about our ethnicity. It's not about a family lineage or a family heritage of Christ followers that makes you a child of God. It is a supernatural work of God that saves us and brings us into His family as His children, and He does it individually in us working on us one at a time. And God's children will have the peace that only comes from the Prince of Peace. God's children will be able to say, I am God's and He will see me through. Shalom. And then after that moment of worship, and and it doesn't say how long it is. It says they sing the one chorus, but we don't know how many times they sing it. We know that God at the throne has angels that are continually singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? They continually sing that. But we don't know. But there was a time where where that angelic worship broke up. And the shepherds decide to then go into town and see what the Lord has revealed to them. One of the things that the shepherds see and they understand is this that it's the Lord God himself who ultimately reveals the good news of the Messiah, the Savior to them. He used the angels as an emissary to let them know, but it was God doing it. God is the ultimate source of revelation, and he's the ultimate source of our revelation and our need for Christ. The shepherds saw that. And then they show us the proper response once we've had an encounter with God, once we've had an encounter with the divine, once we've had an encounter with Jesus, they tell others. Once that song service and the pasture was over, the shepherds went out and proclaimed what they had seen and heard. Excuse me. It was those guys who first acted on the gospel message that they had heard by spreading that gospel message. They knew the gift that they had received was too great to keep it to themselves. I love that you look at this, and and as as Luke's writing it, he points out to us in in kind of a subtle way here that that they were not commanded by the angel to tell anybody. Just the angel just showed up, told them, had a little concert, went home. And they were like, man, we we can't hold on to this. We got to tell somebody. They were compelled by the Holy Spirit to, to see what the angel had talked about. They were compelled to then go tell others. They were sharing the gospel out of the joy that had filled their hearts. Church, listen, our personal walk with Christ should compel us in the same way as these shepherds. We have had a miraculous encounter with the God of all the universe when he brought salvation to our lives. And it should compel us the same way these shepherds are compelled. We should want to tell this story. We should want to tell others how they can know Jesus, how they can experience the peace that Christ comes. We should want to share the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And the shepherds come to Mary and Joseph in that stable, and they tell them all that they had heard from the angel. And Mary just treasures these things up in her heart, and she just contemplates them. She was seeing the word of God The word that she had heard as a little girl through the prophets. The word of God as it had been revealed to her by Gabriel the angel as he explained to her, you are going to carry the Son of God. The word of God, she had seen it now coming to fruition in her life. And she just treasured it and pondered it. And I love that she gives us this example of of meditating on the things of God. Meditating on His word. The shepherds then go on their way and continue proclaiming the gospel message they have heard. <clears throat> they continue to praise and glorify God for the miracle they have witnessed. And this is it. This is the story of the birth of our Savior, the Messiah of God, right? This is, this is that story that, that we need a Savior. Jesus came to save sinners, Jesus came to redeem the people of God. Jesus came to restore right relationship between God and man. Jesus came to atone for the sins of mankind. Jesus came to appease the wrath of God that is due because of sin. Matthew: 121, we read earlier, but it says, "She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Only God. Can forgive sins against God. That's why God sent his eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, into the world. He is God. Jesus is God. He is God in human flesh who has come to save people from their sin. Jesus is the long awaited Messiah, the one who brings peace and salvation. And this is good news. Churches, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate that good news. See, you and I are in desperate need of a Savior. We are in desperate need of salvation. Since Adam sinned in the garden, mankind has been plagued with sin that leads to death. It is our very nature to sin. Mankind is in active, open rebellion against God of all creation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That sin separates us from God. It separates us here on earth from a right relationship with Him. And it will separate us from Him into eternity as well. We deserve death for the sin we have afflicted against God. But there is hope. But God shows His love for this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That little baby. Born in that stable, honors his father completely to the point of death. A sacrificial death to save the people he lived among to be their perfect sacrifice. I love that. I love that God, in his love for his people that he created, designed a way for those of us who rebel to become a saint. By the way, all of us rebel, right? He designed a way for the rebel to become a saint. Jesus, who is God in human flesh, who is God the Son, He redeems us. Jesus came and lived among us. In His life here on earth, He fulfilled all of the law of God that you and I cannot fulfill. He lived a sinless life to be the perfect sacrifice that you and I need. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, And in doing so, he rescues us. He takes our sin, he takes our shame, and he places them on the cross with his own body. He willingly pays for our sin. And he does so by sacrificing himself for our sake. Jesus was then raised from death to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored in a right relationship with God. We must admit our sinfulness and stop trusting in ourselves and in our power. We must ask God to forgive and rescue us. Only through Jesus can you truly know God. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus today, I encourage you to do so. Surrender yourself to Jesus. He will give you that peace that is beyond our grasp, that peace that says, I am God's, and he will see me through. Today we, we celebrate the incarnation of our, of our God, Emmanuel, God with us. God the Son came to live among men who sinfully rebelled against Him as one of them so that they may be reconciled back to Him. Jesus lived the sinless life. Even though tempted in every way that we are tempted, He willingly still gave His life on the cross to pay the debt that we cannot pay. He bore the just wrath of the Father that we cannot bear and he calls us to follow him and he will give eternal life. If you're a a follower of Jesus, you want to give somebody the greatest gift they can ever give, give them the truth of the gospel. Give them the truth of Jesus' salvation that is available to them. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you thank you so much for being a God who loved us enough that you sent your only begotten son to us, to live among us, to be tempted in every possible way, yet to not sin and to be the perfect sacrifice that that we need to pay the debt we owe. Father, we thank you for that that incarnation, that coming of Christ in, in human form. We thank you that you've humbled yourself in such a manner, Jesus. So that those who know you, those who follow, those who you call to yourself and repent and seek you first, can and will be saved. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things.